The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the best of the week. I'm Pete Sweeney. This is a new podcast from Arrowhead Pride. If you had a busier week, you only have time for about an hour of listening. We will put the best from each of our three weekday shows on this podcast. So we'll start with the editor show with the top burning questions ahead of camp. At the 14-minute mark, we'll pick up with Out of Structure, a segment on Chiefs defenders to watch, and we'll finish up with Show and BK asking the question, are the Chiefs really moving Chris Jones to the outside? First up, we'll go to me and John Dixon. It's the AP Editor Show asking the burning questions ahead of minicamp and training camp. (laughs) We are having a question draft of the most burning questions that we have about the Kansas State Chiefs entering what is mandatory minicamp later this morning. John, I'm going to let you start i'm gonna i'm gonna give you the first overall pick i have a feeling we both have the same burning question but you go i have that i have that same feeling who are the chiefs starting offensive linemen Ah! going to be (laughs) yep that was my my first question as well and i'll say this and john i'll let you respond since it was your your question i really think four of them are locked in I know that people are saying that there's battles all across the center to the right side of the line, but I think Orlando Brown is locked in and Joe Tooney. We know those are the ultimate locks, right? And here's Mm -hmm. where I'm thinking, I think Creed Humphrey is going to win the center job. And I think Mike Remmers, at least to start the year, is going to win right tackle. I think right guard, on the other hand, especially with this Kyle Long injury, is wide open. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and And I've been saying for a while... Uh, that I've that I'm moving a little bit more towards Lucas Niang being the starter uh, for 2021 at right tackle. Um, you know he he continues to impress me, um, and I think we'll learn a little bit more about you know his ability to do that in minicamp. Uh, but training camp will be the 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 time that we'll really be able to tell that. But I agree. I think right guard is the most interesting thing here. And I think that it's all interdependent on each on each other. If if Niang is the guy at right tackle, uh, I think they're going to give more priority to Duvernay Tardif at right guard. I don't think the Chiefs are going to want to have three rookies uh, starting from the center to the right side. 
I know some people would disagree with that, but I I just really don't see the Chiefs doing that. It, I think it's going to be a little bit outside of their comfort level to have even two rookies starting I, I, on the line. I think Andy Reid, and you know, he usually says best five, but I yeah. I think he feels more comfortable with the veteran at the tackle positions, and more so in the interior. You can get away right. with a rookie because you have those veteran. I can see that. Yeah, pillars. What I also want to note here about the offensive line as we get into minicamp and then training camp, the most buzzworthy Chiefs offensive lineman from reports and fans, and you're starting to see maybe the national media dip into this a little bit, this Trey Smith. I think Trey Smith is Mm -hmm. the ultimate dark horse, the sixth rounder who a lot of people thought uh, could have been a first or second round pick if it wasn't for some of the medicals. I know that show and BK talked about that last week where he could miraculously win this right guard position, I think, to start the season. So I think Trey Smith is someone to watch. All right. I'm going to get to my first question, John. All right. And I'm going to what I have called a few times on this program, what I believe to be the thinnest position on the team right now. And that's a linebacker. And my question is, is second year linebacker Willie Gay ready to play more? And I go back to his comments last week where he said as a rookie, he didn't really have an offseason to get a base, and he was thrown into the fire. And I think we saw, as a result of the playing time, what was the number one question throughout the year last year? It's why is Willie Gay not on the field more? And I think as time goes on, it's getting more and more revealed that he wasn't comfortable with the system. And he also dealt with the injury uh, toward the end of the year and then the one that ended his season, Super Bowl week. And so now... He is 100%, as he confirmed uh, to me last week. And I also think that he feels a lot more comfortable. And he's going to have to because you don't have Damian Wilson anymore. So there are snaps to be had, even if Ben Neiman is on the field, which I know is a nightmare to Chiefs fans. But I think just watching Willie Gay every day at mandatory and then a training camp is going to be probably the number one defensive point to watch. I agree with that, and uh, uh, I, it wasn't my second question, but but I uh, think uh, I think I you're asking one. a really good one there, um, and and it's one that a lot of people are wondering about, and and should be wondering about, um, and I think the it's further complicated by having Nick Bolton on the team, right? Um, you know, they're going to want to give him snaps this year as well, and um, uh, so where do they where do they draw that line? How do they work up those packages? with having these two young players and what, what positions will they hold? I think they're set on having Hitchens there as the Mike most of the time, but I think they're also going to want to see Nick Bolton do that some to see what they've got there. Um, I do think that gay will get a lot more playing time this year. I think it's, I think he's ready for it. And I think that the, their willingness to part with Damian Wilson tells us that he'll see a lot more time than we saw last year. And Gay is thought to have this Derek Johnson type of ceiling. And I know that's a big name, but we asked Derek right after the draft here on Arrowhead Pride. And, and Derek said he watched a little bit of his tape and he reminded him of himself. So that's just not me saying that. I also think at the linebacker position, one last point, it seems like it's gut check time for Dorian O'Daniel. You have Emmanuel yeah. Smith in this mix. I just think, just playing special teams may not get you on the team. I know you you do need those special teamers, but it's just a very interesting position. I think there has to be some kind of growth defensively for O'Daniel to make this team. Well, and they have some undrafted guys that could find themselves special right. team slots as well. So, uh, you know, you have to think about that every year. These undrafted guys are pushing at those kinds of positions. So we'll see. 
All right, John, your your next question here. All right, who will be their primary edge opposite Frank Clark? I had that on my list, not next, but I had it on yeah, my list. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this is one of those things that we're going to be talking about for a while. Um, everybody thinks we needed to get another edge rusher, either in free agency or in the draft. And uh, I'm not sure that we do. I think we've got some good players in there, guys like Tim Ward uh, and Tershawn Wharton, who are young players who could get a lot more snaps. Uh, Mike, Mike Dana would be one of those guys. And uh, we could see one of those three be the primary edge rusher. I'm, I'm not really sold on this Chris Jones at defensive end thing. I, I, think, I think they're going to use him a little more in some packages, but they were already using him in 18% of the snaps. Um, I don't think they're going to push it much above a quarter of the snaps. I think they're just going to do it a little more often and make teams be prepared for it. And watch for that. Yeah. You know, otherwise, I think they're going to be trying to depend on somebody. I think Steve Spagnuolo was really honest in just saying they're still figuring out if Chris yeah. Jones can mm-hmm. manage it and if it's the best thing for the team. I think he's going to be along the interior still more than he is on the edge. So I actually had a qualifier when I wrote this question down, and it was with Frank Clark back after missing voluntary OTAs, because this is the first time now he'll be with the team. Who is lining across from him when Jones is on the interior and who's getting those first reps across from Frank Clark? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. something that mandatory minicamp gives you is you're, you're looking across the way and you're saying, well, who do the Chiefs like best there? I tend to think it might be Taco Charlton just because I, oh, I, I think you saw forgot even forgot about him. Yeah. OK, I, I, I think you saw some upside there and it's a it's a former premium pick at the position and it seems like he's playing the best football of his career and he he really needed to this seemed like a last chance Mm -hmm. for taco charlton i I think he gets the first crack but mike dana will certainly be in that mix tim ward you know damone harris there are other names and we we got to mention austin edwards right john we absolutely do i promise that i would i would remember him and austin edwards is going to be in that mix as well Okay. All right. I'm going to get to my next question and it's about the cornerbacks. And I'm wondering how are the cornerbacks lined up? I would assume at least to start, it's going to be Jarvarius Ward and Legarius Sneed on the outside. And they're going to be mixing and matching to find out who could be this slot guy. Cause I, I still feel like they want to put Sneed on the outside, but I'm also wondering where is Deandre Baker in this mix, who we know has uh, upside that the chiefs really like. Where does Mike Hughes fit into that? How does Rashad Fenton fit into that? How often are they running multiple safeties? Is Bo Pete Keys ready? I just think there's a lot of questions in that secondary. And I know folks have been wondering, okay, you, you put Snead to the outside. Who mans the slot? It's a really important position in today's NFL, but I think the Chiefs have time to figure that out. Well, my version of this question, which was in the same position, was which unproven corner will be the one to step up? Mm. And that's and that's basing it on the way Steve Spagnolo answered that question for us here recently when he was asked about it. And he said, well, in Philadelphia, when we, we had this guy who was like Legereus Sneed, when some packages he played on the outside, and then when there were more cornerbacks on the field, he moved to the slot. And I think there's a good chance that that's exactly how the Chiefs will do it, that we'll see Sneed on both the outside and in the slot. Yeah. So then well, the question is... That, I mean, I know he went back yeah. to his Philadelphia days, but they were doing that prior to Kendall Fuller. Yeah. Having all those mm-hmm. injury issues, that was mm-hmm. what they were doing with Fuller. Fuller would be right. in the outside in those base, and then he would come in. So, yeah, you could see Snead doing that as well. 
Right. And and I think that what they're going to do is give him a lot of work at both of those positions. So he's prepared to do both of them. And then they'll make a decision because even Spagnolo recognized that there might not be an unproven corner to step up. That DeAndre Baker might not be the guy. That, yeah. that, that that Mike Hughes might not be the guy or one of these young guys. I mean, they've got a ton of cornerbacks, defensive backs in camp. Uh, so uh, it, they might not get one of those guys, in which case that's certainly what they'll do is that you know, Rashad Fenton will be getting more playing time or, or something like that, or, or, and or Bo Pete keys. I think you got to also, you know, train, train Baker and I have him play multiple. And I think Mike Hughes needs to play multiple too, because you, you just think about it now that Bashad Breland is officially with the Vikings, man, Legereus needs importance is through mm, the roof. Yeah. The chiefs yeah. cannot afford to miss him. What was it? Four to six games last year with that collarbone injury. And God forbid, knock on all the wood, if he were to go down, it's just become such an important player for the right. Chiefs and a diamond in the rough, really. Don't forget, this was a day three NFL draft pick. That one continues to pay off for the Chiefs. All right, John, I know you're going to like this question, and then we'll take a quick break. Is Daryl Williams' backup job in jeopardy at the running back position? We know Clyde Edwards-Alaire is the top running back. That's not a question. But Daryl Williams' job is interesting to me. I think the Chiefs like him next after Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and I tend to think he should be the backup when it's all said and done. But you have your boy, Darwin Thompson's in the mix. There's a fullback, Mike Burton. You have Elijah McGuire and Derek Gore. And then there's a wild card. Jarek McKinnon Mm -hmm. suddenly enters the mix. And he profiles, I think, a little bit more to what Clyde may be able to do. And we'll see if someone's able to push Daryl, I think Daryl ends up keeping the job just because I think he offers you a little bit of a change of pace. He's more of that bruiser type of guy, that old Spencer Warish running back. And Clyde is more, I think, of what is a pass catching back and a little bit, I, I think, more elusive than what would be Daryl Williams. So I think Daryl ends up keeping it. But you got some interesting names there to push Daryl Williams. And then also, how does the rest of the room shape out? I think that's a good question. That one didn't occur to me, so I'll give you credit for that. Oh, one. look at that! Yeah, um, and I and I th- and I agree with you. I think uh, Daryl Williams is the guy who's the backup for the reasons you specified because he he brings a kind of a different uh, a different feel to the game than than Clyde does. And I agree that McKinnon is a wild card in this deal, um, and it's going to put some pressure on Daryl Williams. And he, I think he's a little bit more like Clyde. So maybe they see him as the guy to come in if Clyde gets hurt. Um, and then Daryl remains the the change of pace back. I don't know. It'll be very interesting. And and my guy, you know, my guy. Darwin Thompson. <laughs> Darwin Thompson. Um, you know, I'd love to see this kid succeed, but uh, it's looking more and more like it's going to be hard for him to find a spot as a as a starting player in this well, the, offense. The thing, that's pro- the thing that's a problem with, retaining Darwin Thompson going into this particular training camp is you could make a case for seven receivers and 11 offensive linemen. I mean, I don't expect both of those things to happen, right? But there is so much talent at those positions. So, you know, where Mm -hmm. are you cutting? Are you just keeping Travis Kelsey, Noah Gray and Blake Bell? No, I expect them to keep three tight ends as well. If you keep the fullback, that's suddenly you're talking, you know, how many possible players could you keep? You're only, you know, you're typically only keeping 25 and how do those numbers figure? And so, Yeah, Darwin Thompson, I think, is really going to have to show out to convince the Chiefs to keep him on this team. Now, 
if he were to be cut, I think he's on an NFL roster somewhere, but that's just the roster building that the Chiefs have done this offseason where I think you have to ask that question. Welcome back into Best of the Week. We continue on now with AP out of structure. A lot has been made of the Chiefs offensive line this season, but our guys discuss some defenders to watch. Let's go to Ron and Matt. It brings us to some other comments that I saw. One was Jaron Reed commenting about you know his role in the defense and how things were going so far. And he went out of his way to praise maybe somebody we're not talking about enough in that rotation in Turk Wharton. And is that an underrated player? Is that an under the radar guy that you know we're all excited about Jaron Reed with Chris Jones and Frank Clark all at the same time, you know, or or Jaron Reed with Derek Nadi on running downs, but Wharton might be that extra rotational interior pass rusher that makes this thing really, really go. Yeah. When you see a guy come out like he did his rookie year, I think everyone, he is, he is on everyone's radar. He's not, if you're a Chiefs fan, you know, if you're watching the Chiefs every week, you know who Tershawn Wharton is now. And that's pretty impressive for an undrafted free agent rookie from, I believe it was Missouri S&T down in Rolla, Missouri. Shout out if anyone's from there. So, yeah, I, I think it, it is important to understand that he was a really good pass rusher last year. He was one of the best rookie pass rushers in the NFL statistically, according to PFF last year. And he doesn't have to be put in a position where he's the main guy on a line. He's he is going to get the one on ones with, you know, some maybe just a bad guard or a bad center because they need their best guys on Chris Jones, Taco Charlton, Jaron Reed, Frank Clark all those guys. So he's going to be the cleanup guy. He's going to be the trash man cleaning up. Um, and he, he, but he does have the capability where he's, he's just really impressive pass rush moves. He looks really smooth. He's a really fun player to watch and he'll definitely be someone that's going to be an X factor for the defense. If there's one thing you want out of this defense, it is a strong rotation on the front, the front seven. Yes. And you, especially when it comes to the pass rush, you can't just rely on one guy or two guys having a really deep rotation of pass rushers is what made the Spagnolo defenses of old great. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't one or two guys. It was five or six players on that defensive front that could get after the quarterback. And so having Wharton there, you know, again, maybe it, it uh, isn't great for Colin Saunders, but it might be great for, for everybody else in that rotation to have some snaps off, you know, uh, keeping everybody fresh and given all different looks from that front. Yeah, exactly. And we kind of talked about it. The other podcast, you know, we're talking about the techniques that Chris Jones and Jaron Reed rush from, but Wharton rushes from the same techniques. That's kind of where he's good at too, because he is a smaller player, smaller stature guy. He's not going to be eating up double teams. You know, that's not what he's good for. He's, he's not the best run defender, but he, he flashes in the past game. And that's what's important, right? He, you can find guys that are good at run defense, but if you can find a guy that shows some natural pass rushing building like Wharton has already in his young career, he's someone you want to stick around. Maybe someone you kind of extend early in his career for really cheap um, just to keep him around. If he does continue to be as productive as he was last year. And he's just a key piece because, Hey, Reed and Naughty are both free agents after this season. So, you know, there is some decisions to make in that interior defensive line. It's, it's, it's a fun position group to watch this year for sure. Man, from small school undrafted free agent rookie to already talking about a second contract, that really speaks volumes to to Tershawn Morton and what he's been able to accomplish. And you're right, it's not very often that somebody 
like him even makes an NFL roster to begin with, but to jump right in and basically be for practical purposes, a starter last year, you know, at least a significant part of a rotation. Absolutely. uh, Incredible. So really going to be a fun rotation and he's, he's going to be a big part of it. Another potentially positive development that we saw in the news this week, there was a story from the athletic and Nate Taylor talking about, Willie Gay Jr. and his development and how this year he's had a lot more of an opportunity to get into the playbook and refine some of the things that he needed refining from last year. It's nice to hear firsthand knowledge or some reporter with firsthand knowledge talking about where Gay is in his development, because I think we've had some serious questions about that and what his role is going to be, whether he's going to get leapfrogged by Bolton or somebody else, or maybe this is going to be the year. He seemed to make it clear in this piece that the Chiefs expect Gay to be a starter, that he's working at both Sam and Will positions, and he's really stepping up his game from last season. Can we expect big things from Willie Gay Jr. now? We should, right? Because he's a second round pick. And that's what happens in the NFL when a team uses a top 64 pick on you. You're expected to become a starting caliber kind of player. That's just how it is. So it's not unfair to expect that. It's not at all. He got off to a slow start because of COVID and stuff. It seems like Willie Gay was definitely the type that kind of needed that offseason time. And he and as you mentioned, he talked about it, which is which is good that he acknowledges that and that he's acknowledging that it's it's better this offseason. He feels more comfortable mentally and physically this offseason. Well, physically, just because he's recovered from the injury. I don't know. You know, last year, he's probably feeling a little better last year. But anyway, yeah, so just Gay has the opportunity to really take a step forward. They got rid of Wilson, so they do have snaps at the linebacker position that need to be filled by somebody. Gay is a logical person to do that. He's the athletic type that we've been on this podcast preaching that we need. Everyone in Chiefs Kingdom has been preaching that the linebackers need to be more athletic. Willie Gay fits that. And if he can put it together this year, if he can be a guy that can take those second most snaps, I really think it'll really improve the defense night and day just on outside runs, you know, containing passes to the flat, having an athletic linebacker just just helps the defense out so much. And if he can do that, it's going to be a huge impact. Absolutely. I think we can expect big things. We can hope for big things from Willie Gay this year. He did come out and say that he's 100% after his injury and praised the training staff that helped him get back to where he needs to be physically. So if he's physically 100%, he is an athletic freak. He's had a second year now to get the playbook under his belt a little bit. It's going to be exciting to watch. That does lead to some questions about the roles for some of those guys. And that I don't know if that's a question that we have later on here, Ron, but the the fit for Willie Gay at Sam or Will or you know is he is he going to be a Mike? Who's going to you know who's going to be the next up? How can they get Willie Gay and Nick Bolton on the field at the same time, or will they at all? Is is one question that I think is really still pending and, and something that we're going to be watching for in camp. Yep, we will be because it is. Losing Wilson does open up a lot of things for you because Wilson was able to play the Sam a lot of the time, and they tried out people at Will or the Will. You know, he played the Will in in their most common formation, the Buck, you know, the nickel formation in defense when there's only two linebackers on the field. But the thing with Gay is he is an athletic linebacker, as we just said. That's the Will linebacker position. You need an athletic guy that can cover the flat because he's going to be on the 
the weak side of formation kind of have open space on that side. Rather, the Sam linebackers on the strong side of the formation will be closer to the line of scrimmage, and he'll need to be a tougher kind of guy. And that's why, in my opinion, I would say Bolton will be the starting Sam this year with Gay being the starting Will. We don't know how they feel about Neiman. I mean, we do know how they feel about Neiman, I should say, but we don't know how they'll they'll use that uh, liking of Neiman to, to counteract with Gay and Bolton. I hope it doesn't mess with their playing time too much. But I understand Neiman might know the defense maybe a little more than they do. I would still rather just have athletic guys out there that maybe make some mistakes, but they're giving you a chance because they're such athletic dudes, uh, better tacklers, better hitters, all that. So I would say, to answer your question, I would say Bolton would be the Sam. Just it's an easier role for a rookie to come in and learn. Gay kind of did that same thing last year. And then you have Gay at will. Hopefully he's taking that step and he can be a difference maker at the second level of the defense. That's probably the best case scenario, right? Because the Sam is heavily involved in the run game. And that would be the strength of Nick Bolton based on his college tape. He's a big hitter. He likes to get after it and come downhill. And so he he could even be a theoretical pass rusher from the Sam position occasionally. I don't know if we've seen a lot of that on, on tape from him in college, but it's something that he could he could try out or develop. But having Gay really lock down the Will linebacker position, I think would be one of the best developments of this entire offseason. If you could say he's a bona fide starter, stud at the Will position, you know you've got Hitchens in the middle, you know you've got Bolton developing, and Willie Gay holding holding down his position would be would be fantastic. And I'll take it a step further, actually, because there is a difference in that will linebacker position and their nickel and base formations. And then the dime linebacker position that we see Ben Neiman has really owned in the last two years, for better or for worse. And so if Gay can take that position over too, which if he's the most athletic linebacker on the team, which it appears that he is, I know Daniel might give him a run for his money, but, you know, obviously Gay's a higher performer. If, if, he is the most athletic linebacker. He does probably need to be the dime linebacker because you want as much athleticism as possible when you're in dime because that means they're throwing. That means they're, you know, you'll be in light boxes, so you're not going to have to worry about the run as much, and you're just going to have to worry about getting deep or covering a guy. You know, they might go empty on you. So, yeah, I'd, I'd take it a step further. The biggest impact, I would say, actually, even over getting that will linebacker position in, like, base and stuff, would be if he could be that dime linebacker and really bring a different level of athleticism than they've had there uh, you know, with Neiman the past few years. Is, is that something that they've historically done is had one guy be the the will and the base and the, and also the dime, kind of shift them around and keep them, keep them on the field? You know, I, it, it, they kind of always have had the dime be a different player than who they have in the base and nickel, it seems like to me. Um, just because I guess maybe Neiman's just athleticism is more than Nich, Hitchens or Neiman, or, or I should say Hitchens and Wilson, excuse me. Um, but before that, you know, Daniel was getting run at the dime linebacker position as well, but he never seemed to get much reps at will. So it, it is kind of, I don't really know how they handle that. I would just assume though, you drafted a linebacker in the second round, you need that guy on the field and in dime, especially when you're the chiefs offense, that's going to be up on teams and they're going to be throwing to keep up. Dime's going to be on the field a lot. That's why Neiman's always on the field. And that's why he's always sticking out like an eyesore. So that's why Gay needs to be in that dime position because he needs to be on the field, you know, to justify that second round pick. And being on the field in the dime linebacker position, teams do tend to run against the Chiefs in that formation. They'll try to get right. in that formation and then specifically run against them. And, and Neiman, you know, has uh, 
maybe gotten run over a few times in his chief's career in, in those situations. So having a, a more stout player that could also run could make a difference in that formation as well, even against the run. Yeah. And gay is a more stout run defender for sure. I think, I think that's then Neiman for sure. He's still, you know, he's not, that's not his strong suit or anything, but I would definitely say he comes down, you know, fills a hole a little harder, a little better than Neiman. So yeah, no, the linebacker group is all as always is that is going to be a really fun position to watch and gay. If he can, if he can break out, it'll just be such a huge add to the defense. Support for this show comes from Sylvan learning as a parent. You want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back into Best of the Week. We're going to wrap up with a little show and BK on the Chiefs. And one of the emerging storylines of the offseason was the surprise acquisition of Jaron Reed and what that would mean for the defensive line and especially when it comes to Chris Jones. So our guys, show and BK discuss, are the Chiefs really going to move Chris Jones out to the edge? I'm eager to hear what they have to say. Let's go to show and BK. Uh, BK, you have been excited as hell about this. Him potentially, we've talked about it just sometimes going out and playing on the outside, playing defensive end. Now, according to Chris Jones, as we hear, hey, this may be more of a permanent thing this may be a deal where Chris Jones is out here strictly as a DN. And I love the thought of moving Chris Jones around. I have some concerns if he's strictly going to be a defensive end. If they come in and they go, all right, uh, Reed and uh, and Naughty, you're on the inside and we'll have a rotation there. But Frank Clark, nice, to, nice of you to join us, Frank Clark. And uh, Chris Jones, you're going to be the ends. See, my issue with Chris Jones strictly playing in, I get concerned if you lose some of his greatness and what makes him great, and that is him being able to rush the passer from the inside and use his speed and athleticism from the inside. When you translate that to the outside, I wonder, is he as productive as an end as he is on the inside, and do you lessen his impact because he's rushing from the outside all the time. That is that is a bit of the concern. I'm not saying he can't do it because I think Chris Jones is a great player, but there is a bit of concern to me is, hey, is he a great player because his skill set from rushing from the interior is so unique that if you move him to the outside where it's easier to get to him, 
and help with him and he's coming from a further distance, does that now change him and not make him great and make him just okay? That's yeah, my I th- concern. I think it's a fair concern. I think it's a valid one. And I think the question that I would love to hear the honest answer from the Chiefs and we're just never going to get it is, is this a move out of necessity or because you wanted to move him to defensive end? If it's a move out of necessity, there's potential that what you're saying is absolutely true. And you That's get a great point. 70% out of Chris Jones this year instead of the full 100% of his capacity, which is what you'd get if he was playing defensive tackle. If it's a move because they wanted to see what it looks like with Chris Jones at defensive end because they just believe that he's capable of doing it and think it's a more valuable position, which makes some sense. He fits the criteria for a defensive end in Spag's system a lot more than he fits what Spags typically likes at D-tackle. If that's why they're doing this, okay, then I, I have no qualms with it whatsoever, and I trust what Spags wants to do here. We'll never get that answer, Ron. And so that's that's where I think it's a little bit of both. I think they did want to see what Chris Jones wants, what he can do outside. I'm not believing what we're hearing about this being a full-time move, though. I'm really not. Because you even look back to what Spags did with guys like Jason Pierre-Paul or OCU Monero with the Giants those guys were bumping inside and they're true defensive ends. So what I would expect we're going to see out of Chris Jones is more of what we talked about last week. They're going to hunt the matchups. If there's a situation where they feel like the right tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals in week 12, whatever, whoever the matchup is at any given time, that's where the weak spot is. They might line up Chris Jones over him the next week. Maybe it's the Oakland Raiders left guard. That's the problem. Okay. We're going to go ahead and put, Chris Jones over him they're going to find what that matchup is especially in true pass rushing situations and they're going to exploit it that's what I expect they're going to do with him see that's my yeah the necessity thing is a really good point because I'm thinking of it when he had that with the Giants he called it the NASCAR package where he would you know have stray hand especially when he was there he have stray hand and, and Pierre Paul maybe they weren't there together but Strahan and Tuck and uh, and OC and Matthias Kiwanuka, he would rotate those guys, but those were all good pass rushers. When I think about necessity, I'm thinking about the Chiefs. Like, who's the other guy that you feel really good about as a pass rusher? Maybe Jaron Reed. Jaron Reed has had 10-plus sacks in this league before. And Frank, you feel good about. But it, it, it almost does feel like, hey, man, it's either Taco Charlton on the outside or – maybe we just feel better trying Chris out there. And that, and that is the deal because I wonder, do you get to a point where Chris Jones doesn't necessarily have to be double teamed if he's rushing from the outside, if he's on the inside, you got to absolutely know where he is all the time. And, and you really have to use him or you have to double team him and you got to try to make sure that he doesn't beat you because if he's lined up on the inside and you leave him on a guard or center, you got to beat him or you, you know, he can beat you and ruin your game. I could even see this in a way hurting Frank Clark because, because if, if he, if they're lined up together and maybe they could still do that, but if they're lined up from the inside and especially when you put them on the same side, come from the, like that is, that is, that is a real issue, and a lot of the uh, the attention goes to 95 out, as opposed to going to Frank Clark. If he's lined up on the outside and you got them both on the outside far apart, you know exactly what you can do. 
Um, that to me in a way hurts Frank unless Frank Clark starts being the dude that was in Seattle. I think Frank really benefits from the attention that Chris Jones gets and that could lessen if he's just strictly on the outside. I think what you're doing there though is what a lot of Chiefs fans have been doing. I think we're underrating the Jaron Reed edition, man. Jaron Reed's a really good football player and he's a guy that's going to help in those situations. I also think what we're doing is we're not giving enough credit to what Tershawn Wharton was last year. Listen, he's a flawed player. He is not a superstar. He's not going to be that. And that's totally fine. They hit on a lottery ticket. And if that means that he's a situational pass rusher moving forward, that's a valuable commodity to have. And I think that's what's what he's going to be this year. So in third down situations, if you've got Chris Jones on one side, Frank Clark on the other, and then in between them, you've got Jaron Reed and Tershawn Wharton. That's a pretty darn good defensive line that can give some hell to offensive lines, even if it means Chris Jones lining up outside. Because what you're going to get with that is you're going to get a lot of stunts and games up front. You're going to see guys like Tershawn Wharton and Chris Jones bouncing inside versus outside. There's going to be a lot of things that Steve Spagnuolo is able to take advantage of with those two guys next to one another, and it'll be different. It's not going to be the same thing. You don't have the same bendy pass rusher that you would like to have on the outside in those spots, but that's never really been the guy that Steve Spagnuolo's had on the edge. If you look back at his history, it's mostly dudes that are – 265 plus pounds lining up on the outside and winning with bull rushes more than they're just bending the edge. Let me ask you to this. Do you think, do you think Aaron Donald, if he was strictly a defensive end and he's the best, I think I've ever seen. uh, Do you think if he was strictly a defensive end that he's as productive as he has been in his career? No. Yeah, I do. You think he's as productive as a defensive end? I Yeah, because I think he's the most just insanely athletically gifted uh, interior defensive lineman that I've ever seen. And I think that would translate on the inside or the outside the way that it kind of translated with J.J. Watt in his prime. Uh, Man, uh, Ron, you, you've seen J.J. Watt a lot because you're down in Houston. Um, he, he's the guy situationally, the way that I think they're going to use Chris Jones that I would bring up as the position. That, that, that one makes sense. I, I still think though, I know Aaron Donald is, like I said, the best I've seen, but his speed really, and, 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 and his quickness more importantly, really plays where he is. That changes if he's further away. And, and there's something to this with me. I, I don't know where you all stand. Tyron Matthew might be right there. For me, when Chris Jones is right, he's the best player on this defense just because of, of his ability to rush a passer and change games. Um, There's something about the fact that, hey, man, that guy is potentially your best defensive player, and he's your best defensive player at that position, and he's shown to be dominant at times when he's right at that position. Why are we going to take the chance to not have that same dominance at that position? And there's something to the point of of changing things up, but somebody who you know at an already important spot can do damage at that spot and potentially move him to a space where you're not sure game in and game out he can he can make hay that way. And that's why now as we're talking this out, BK, I, I tend to agree with you. 
he he can't just be strictly a defensive end. He can't. They got to take advantage of him um, and what he's great at. And what we know he's great at is he can get to the quarterback like that and one move and he's there. I don't know if that one move gets him home like it did before. So here's what I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see a lot of like if you're somebody that's going out to training camp this this fall. I don't know how much you're going to watch Chris Jones lining up inside. I bet you the vast majority of his reps, maybe 90 plus percent of his reps are going to come on the outside. And so everybody's going to be talking. We're going to do this show in early August, Ron. And we're going to say, man, maybe he is just moving outside. Maybe this is just a permanent move. And I'm going to stay firm on this because I think what's happening is he knows exactly how to play defensive tackle in Steve Spagnuolo's defense. He knows what all of the assignments are. He knows what's required of him on any given play. He doesn't know those things at defensive end. He spent like a week and a half over the course of the last two years playing defensive end for Steve Spagnuolo. Learn the reps. Learn what it takes. Learn what the reads are whenever you're out at defensive end. See it in live reps in training camp. Find out what this looks like. And then when you get into the season, you get into the individual games, spend first and second down outside. And then on third and seven, kick him inside. You'll have some options on the outside. You'll see some of Chris Jones on the edge, I would imagine, even in pass rushing situations. But even the best guy, Frank Clark, plays typically about 60% of the snaps. All of those are going to come for him on the outside for the most part, unless it's a stunt or game or whatever up front. Chris Jones is going to play probably 65-ish percent of the snaps up front as well. I bet you 70% of those come on the outside next year, 30% of them are on the inside. So you're still getting those high leverage, important snaps. And you mentioned a word that I think is important for him, Ron. It's dominance. Chris Jones has moments where he just completely takes over a game. And I think you're still going to see those, and most of them are probably going to come from him at defensive tackle. I don't think this is a staff that's just going to completely avoid that moving forward. Yeah, that feels Bob Sutton-like. Let's just keep his ass and, and not make adjustments. And and when I say that I I think Aaron Donald would be successful outside, I'm not saying that I think Chris Jones is going to be completely successful outside. I don't think Chris Jones is athletic as Aaron Donald is. And Chris Jones is a a freak of an athlete. Like Aaron Donald's just unlike anything that we've ever seen in football. I, I, I tend to think that you know, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's bringing it up. It's an interesting storyline. I could easily see it being like closer to like a 50-50 split where they're just kind of moving Chris Jones all around the line instead of just having him outside or just having him strictly on the interior. It's interesting, but I'm just saying, I mean, you got a dude that said that has shown, I can get 15 sacks from the inside. I can dominate the Super Bowl and change the game in the third and fourth quarter, the fourth quarter, from the inside when it really counts. I just don't want you to mess with that. Like I don't, like that is dominance from what there. if you get what if you get better performance from the player because he's wanted to do it? Because I think that's part of this. I think part of this is placating Chris Jones yeah. because he wants to play outside. He literally said at his press conference Thank the other God. day, Ron, Thank God I'm getting back to the outside. If he wants to be out there and it means this is like a this is the carrot that you're dangling out in front of him to bring his best effort this year. And I'm not saying he didn't get it last year, but that you know, eighty five million dollars he got wasn't enough of a carrot. <laughs> well, whatever it is, right, that that was out there and he had a great season as a result of it. Last year, 
I didn't think he was quite as good. I didn't think you got 100% capacity out of Chris Jones. It was a weird year, though. There's a million different things that could have gone into that. I think you're going to get the best version of Chris Jones, at least in part, because of what you're seeing right now with them allowing him to try out his opportunities at defensive end. And that's the thing. There may be a little bit of carrot, but I, I think what you said earlier is a, is a big part of this, too, is, is they may be in a spot where he is actually the best fit to be the defensive end just because of what they have. 